0: everyone. Welcome back to Farming for Passive Income show. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we have a really cool guest on the show, Alicia Jarrett. Alicia, also known as AJ, is a very active investor, so a little bit different than our normal type of show where we help the passive investors, but I think there's a ton of value that both passive and active investors can get out of today's show with Alicia and Alicia, thank you so much for coming on to the show.
1: Hey, Casey, thank you so much as well. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I know you and I have spoken before and we had so much to talk about. So I'm sure we're going to be able to fill this time with some really good, valuable stuff for your listeners.
0: Indeed, indeed. And um, yeah, very excited to have you on. And yeah, we could have talked for hours. It seems last time we connected just so much <laughs> opportunities um, out there, which I'm sure you will also um, help us explain a little bit Um and you're from Australia, um, everyone. So Alicia is from am. Australia. She invests in the U.S. She does it all across the world. She owns three businesses. She does land flipping. She does basically business in a box. She does a lot of things. And I would really love Alicia if you could just give the audience a little bit more about your background, um, coming from your side of the side of the house.
1: Yeah, sure, no problem. So thank you so much, Casey. Um, I guess a little bit about my background for people wondering. I don't have a background in real estate. Let's just start there. Because I think sometimes people look at this whole you know, real estate investing or, or passive investing in different asset classes and think, well, surely I have to have heaps of experience in that. No, you don't. So my background was actually in consulting, um, leadership development, training, going into businesses and helping them to grow their people with, with their skills and experience and things like that. So it had nothing to do with what I'm actually doing today, which I find quite fascinating from, I'm going to say an outsider looking in, because if I was to hear that, it, I think the, you know part of the story is knowing when to make a switch into things that not only you're passionate about, but also where you see opportunity, go ahead and grab it. So about um, uh, six years ago now, six or seven, the time is just flying by. My business partner Matt and I—we were both in really good businesses, and and he was in a job. I had my own consulting business, and we were just like, you know, I think Casey, we had one of those those moments where we think, "Is this all there is to life? Like, is this it? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> is this what we'll be doing until we retire?" And the answer came back a resounding no, because we weren't we weren't really feeling fulfilled, but it also wasn't allowing us to live the life that we wanted, which is to be able to work from anywhere in the world, you know, as long as we've got a laptop and a phone. Uh, Case in point, because I'm calling you from Australia, our businesses are all in the US and we can do everything remotely. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I love that. So for the last six years, we've been focused in, we started with, with houses, we did some fix and flips with some houses, which was lots of fun, Casey, lots of fun. But pretty time-consuming and also um, not that uh, that great from a sustainable business model to do from the other side of the world. But mm-hmm. um, we we started to sort of dabble in that, had some rentals that were giving us some good income, um, but then problems started to arise, right? We had problems with tenants, problems with the properties, um, problems with our fix and flips. And it was like, okay, that this is telling us something. This is telling us maybe this is not the direction that we think we want to go. So Maybe. we change direction. Again, something's not fulfilling you, stop, pause, reassess, redirect. So yeah. we redirected into vacant land, um, and that has been amazing. We've got a really good business there that we buy and sell vacant land, we buy and hold, we buy and subdivide, and we sell a finance, which is great for passive income. And, um, and so our land business now has been going for quite a few years. We've got a team in there that does all of my, pretty much all of my buyer calls, seller calls, my admin. They look after everything. I get involved at that more higher level with our, our attorney, our title company, our realtor, mm-hmm. um, do stuff at that level. Um, and then secondary to that, you mentioned we have a few businesses, which we do. I guess partway through this real estate investing journey, We saw a bit of an opportunity in the market where the whole process of acquisitions with getting properties under contract is a little hit and miss with a lot of uh, groups out there. When I say groups, I'm talking real estate education groups, because they say, you know, go here and get your data, go here and get your website done, go here and and print some some mail, go here and, and do all these things. And it felt very disjointed. And it Mm -hmm. also wasn't consistent uh, out there at all. So we then created another business called Supercharged Offers. And Supercharged Offers is about real estate investors and how they do their acquisitions online and offline marketing. It's a totally done-for-you service, which is pretty awesome. Then third to that, because that business is so data-driven, because everything starts with data, um, we then started another part of our, our suite of businesses, but it's not something that is people can go and use it. It's a business that supports our businesses. And that's all to do with real estate data. Um, and that's about to produce some apps and different services for us as well. So super exciting, Casey. We've got lots on the go, which uh, which I love.
0: Yeah, super exciting indeed. And I love that you, A, you're really good at pivoting you saw the opportunities. You learned from all of your lessons really quickly, and you pivoted in less than five years. You know, three businesses. I'm sure plenty of passive income to do what you please. Um, but you had the hustle to start. But I mean, I guess I'd like to just step back just a little bit. And if I were an investor in the United States of, United States of America, why America versus Australia? Like, where? <laughs> what made you go from? half the, the oceans?
1: Yeah, yeah. We get asked that question all the time. And I guess for anyone listening that is in the US, I want to start with you don't realize how lucky you've got it because here's why. In Australia, it's still very traditional to buy and sell properties through a, a realtor. Um, and that's that's kind of culturally how, how things are done. But also because the ability to um, go and get data about anyone and their properties market to them direct and have an off-market conversation. It's just not the done thing, nor can you do it due to privacy laws. So I can't go and download a list of information from my local county here um, about every property that you own, Casey, all the information about you, the history of the properties, if you've got a mortgage or not, I can't do that. It just doesn't exist. The privacy uh, laws mean that the information is on, on lockdown. Secondary to that though, It's really the the entry point to the market here. So where we live in uh, Melbourne, Australia, which is a a beautiful city of four and a half million people, it's it's wonderful. This is not Melbourne in the background here, by the way.
0: But um,
1: (laughs) it's a great city, but the average, and I'm talking average, I'm not talking the the beautiful parts of of the the city, but an average house is just on a million dollars. So... You know, we're talking kind of San Diego, California prices yep. and <laughs> if that's you want average. to compare. Yep. So that's the average. And uh, and so if you're thinking of getting into property to want to fix and flip a home or do all of that, the cost of contractors, the cost of goods and services, it's it's like triple what it is in the U.S. Just it, it's exorbitant. Mm-hmm. So we bought our first house for about $17,000 in the U.S., um, it was a, a triple, um, like a triplex. So an old house that had been converted into three little apartments, the little multifamily, if you like. Mm-hmm. And um, after our very quick $20,000 rehab on it, uh, we sold it for just under a hundred. And it's like, you know, those numbers just don't exist over here, Casey. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I, I feel the sentiment. I, Went and I was dedicated towards investing in my home state in my hometown, and it was very similar. Um, I would basically have to take all, of, take out everything um, to purchase another investment property, whereas you can yeah. say Indianapolis and buy something for thirty grand.
1: Yep, right. So if you really when when you are an investor, you've got to think through the lens of not where I want to live but where I want to invest, like where does the dollars make sense? Where do the numbers add up that you go, yeah, that's going to be good to do Um, and it's going to have a good outcome for the people, you know, buying the properties and stuff as well. But it's also going to have a good impact on my, my bank balance too, because Mm -hmm. everything has to align up in order to go, yep, that's a good thing. And I think even to take it back to our first property that we did and one of the key lessons in that is I, I looked at the property. And so we used to spend a lot of time in the States, by the way, Casey, but we now do everything remotely. But for that first deal, we we bought the property sight unseen. Our realtor went and had a look at it and um, and we did everything re- remotely. Then we flew over once the rehab had started to go and buy some more properties and, and look at the one that was currently being fixed up. And I remember seeing it and my heart sank because I was like, this is, who would want to live here? This is this is terrible. But you have to get your own ego out of the way because it's not about you. It's about providing a home for people in that area that wanted to live there. Now, it was yeah. a lower income area. There was there was really hardworking Americans that wanted to have a roof over their head that we were to able to, to provide that for. And so when you get out of your own way and make sure that the numbers stack up and and the deal makes sense and and it still serves a purpose at the end of the day. You don't have to live there or do anything with it, but as long as you're providing that service to the community that is and they're happy, awesome, everyone wins.
0: Yeah, exactly. The same thing happened with a couple of my rentals as well. It was such a good feeling being able to provide a nice place to live for people at an affordable rate and it was just a win-win across the board. That was a nice feeling and actually one of the the triggers, I guess you could say, of why I started getting into real estate, because it was it was fairly fulfilling to do that, um, creating those win-win solutions.
1: It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Especially in the last, um, you know, since, since the 2008 crash, I mean, we, we got into this seven years ago where banks were still not not helping people. People were still sitting on properties that they didn't know what to do and no one was coming in to help them. So it was like, you know, there's a service there, right? It's the same with vacant land a lot of people are sitting on vacant land they don't know what to do um there's there's things that need fixing on them they don't know where to start they don't have the money to be able to fix up the problems and you think vacant land surely that doesn't have many problems because there's nothing on it <laughs> the problems that vacant land has is often not to do with the the what what is on the property or in case not on the property but it's to do with things like probates, title issues, encroachment, removing squatters, removing trash, clearing the property, like all of that stuff has expertise, time and money needed for it, right? So mm-hmm. you still have problems. They're just different problems.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it seems like you went down the path of solving those types of problems versus the problems that fi- fix and flipping provided. Correct.
1: Yep. In in essence, if you want to put it simply, we were still fix and flipping the property, but the fixed bit was just different.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're still flipping <laughs> it or just in a different way in a maybe more prime yeah. sensible way as well.
1: Correct. Yeah, we were taking a current property where the the, um, the title was not marketable and couldn't reach the closing table because of the issues that were on it. We fix those issues. We make the property usable, marketable. We do things like change zoning if we need to, subdivide it um, put some stuff into clearing it, take out HOAs, um, you know, maybe there's HOA fees that are owing, uh, back mm-hmm. taxes, liens, get, get the title really nice and clear so that it's able to be used by someone. So yeah, same kind of principle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Just solving problems in a, in a different way. Well, Correct. Alicia, would you mind walking us through what that step by step process looked like when you're looking to land, flip a deal?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So first stage is to make sure that you're researching your market to find out where do we want to do land deals and is there enough buyer and seller activity going on in those areas that I could get a property under contract, but also if I was to fix those issues with that property, there's a market out there that would potentially buy or use that property. So for example, you don't want to be going into some areas that there's no activity going on whatsoever because then you might get stuck with a property that you can't sell. So check on the buyer and seller activity, look for those areas that are in growth paths. So not the major cities, but just outside of them where people are building homes or building businesses, things like that. What are those growth path cities? Um, Also agriculturally, you can look at some areas that are in in growth as well where land is needed. Then it's about getting some data. Get the data on who owns the, the properties in those areas Um, what they actually own and then market to them. So when I say market to them, you want to market to them in a way that captures their attention no matter where they are. So offline marketing, sending direct mail out, online marketing, having a really good website, pushing ads out to them, creating audiences online and making sure that they can find you online really easily as well. Then when the leads come through, Casey, my team is talking to those leads. We're finding out more information about their properties the potential problems that need fixing, what they're willing to sell their property for if they were to you know, walk away and let someone else handle all the tough stuff. Um, and then we get that property under contract. We will then look at the exit strategy for that property. So are we going to buy it outright? Are we going to double close on the property? Are we going to get a, a joint venture uh, cash partner in on the property, depending upon what we might do with it? Will we subdivide it? Um, what are the different things that need fixing on the property that that we need to put in a plan for? So for example, some sort of stuff like a probate, some probates, uh, I've got one at the moment that's been going on for over a year <laughs> um, wow, okay. because probates when there's multiple family members involved and maybe not everyone agrees and, you know, probates can be quite intricate. So then once we've got yeah. the property under contract and we've got our exit strategy in mind, we then... Fix those problems, remarket the property out to an end user, um, and get a buyer for that property. Now, this is where the the passive income comes in, because often we'll get a cash buyer that will just pay us cash for the property. We close, we're done. But more often than not, especially in this current economic climate, Casey, um, you know, we're talking together now. It's now November twenty twenty two, about to become mm-hmm. December. We're in a state where people are watching their money a little bit more closely. So people are often wanting to look at things like seller financing or lease purchasing. So they don't want to put all their cash into the property, but they're willing to give a sizable deposit to have some some skin in the game. And then they'll pay back a couple of hundred dollars a month, um, which goes straight into our bank account. And uh, and that couple of hundred dollars a month, when you look at that over, you know, 10 to 20 properties, nice cash flow. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely can be some nice cash flow. So for those who don't understand seller financing, can you just walk us through maybe the how the equity transfers from one person to the other and what that yeah. looks like in terms of the debt and the equity?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So seller financing, to put it simply, we become the bank.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The thing that you need to remember about vacant land is a lot of banks, majority of them, will not lend on vacant land anymore. So since the, the last 2008 crash, Vacant land, they look at that as a non-performing asset. So banks don't want to know about it unless you are building a house on that property and you're going to them with uh, the plans for the home. And it's like a house and land package, right? They're, They're lending on all of it. Other than that, vacant land, people don't want to know. So therefore, when we've got buyers that come to us and say, look, I really want in this property. Uh, I've got some plans for the property. I want to put a business on it, put a farm on it, pay it off over time. You know, maybe in 10 years' time, I've got some plans to leave my job in the city and go and build my dream home on this property. Whatever it is, we become the bank for them. So they will pay a sizable deposit. Now, here's where you've got to do your numbers because if we purchase the property for, say, $10,000, but it's worth $25, more often than not, we want the buyer to put down that $10,000 to cover us so that we're not in any loss. And then we finance the, the $15,000 on top of that. And when we say finance it, we get to set the term. So we might say, look, we're financing that $15,000, but it's going to be at 10% interest. Um, but there's no credit checks. It's a, It's a contract between us and them. Um, they end up owning the property, but they can't do anything with it until that property is paid off. Now, I've already had one situation where, unfortunately, um, and quite sadly, the the owner that had seller financed with us, he passed away from COVID about eighteen months ago. His family didn't want the property, so they deeded it back to us, and we became the owner again. And if you get, if you manage and structure the paperwork correctly, when things go wrong, it's quite easy to get that property back. Um, so they're paying it off over, you know, $15,000 at 10% over the space of those however many years uh, we, we put that into to contract four. Um, and we just get that income over that time. Now, this person had had that property for quite a few years. But think about my numbers going back to that deal. They paid us already about $15,000 down, which covered our cost to, to buy the property. They were paying us about $295 a month. Um, and that had already happened over the space of about two years. And then they deeded the property back to us. So all of that income we get to keep. Very, very sad for the family. I honestly really felt for them during this time. But he had five children and they're like, we don't want vacant land. We've got our own homes. Like, we don't want it. Right. <laughs> so they deeded it back. We get to keep all of that income. We get the property back again that is free and clear. We put it back out to the market. And this time we found a cash buyer that paid um, full price for it, which was another $40,000. So, Mm -hmm. you know, very easy to make money on seller financing deals.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so that's the, that's one strategy of land flipping, right? And then I'm sure you have three or four other buckets. And, you know, previously we talked about um, getting the land ready for development projects. Um, Can you maybe walk us through what that is all entailed in land development. Maybe if they don't want to sell it, they're not sure what to do, um, but they're interested in maybe, you know, investing into it later on in new development perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of different strategies there. So this is more for when you're looking at properties that are perhaps, you know, five acres and and up, but you can even do it with an acre. Like in a lot of areas, if there's an acre property that you can easily split into four Um, 0.25 infill lots like if it's in the right area and there's houses all around it that's a really easy strategy to do what's called forced appreciation so forced appreciation is when we're taking the lot as it is we're already appreciating the value of that by forcing it into a different way of 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 being if you like yeah (laughs) but we tend to do it with properties that are about five acres and upwards and anywhere into the the hundreds of acres as well We'll take those properties. Now, the buyers, uh, sorry, the sellers, the, the owners of those properties, Casey, they tend to be a little bit more sophisticated because they know that their property is worth something, right? Now, you will have the case where the, the owner might say, look, I don't want anything to do with this property. Just take it off my hands and go and do this all yourself. And we're like, no problems at all. So we'll buy it. We'll go and do all of that forced appreciation for them, which I'll get to in a moment. Secondary, though, you might have someone who's a little smarter and they know what their property is valued at as of today, but they also know if they were to go and put the work in themselves to put in the applications, get the surveys done, get the plat maps done, get everything drawn up to do the actual subdivision, they just don't have the time, the expertise or the energy to be able to do that, but they know what it's worth. So they're the type of people that you would joint venture with. It's like, okay, you still own the property we want to have some skin in the game on the property so that we're not going to go and do all this work and you'll walk away. So we'll draw up a contract where we have the ability to do that. You can't sell it to someone else in that time, nor can you leave what we're doing. (laughs) So we we tie it together nicely. We then go and do the forced depreciation after the the properties are sold, that's when we pay the seller back and we can tend to pay them a little bit more um, at that stage as well. So there's different things to do, but the whole concept of forced appreciation is very easy. And and I'll just say to anyone listening, they might be listening and go, I don't have the expertise to do that. I don't even know where to start to do that stuff. You know what? Neither did I, but there's services out there that do it for you. You just need to find the deal. So if you find the property Mm -hmm. and the numbers add up, and when I say the numbers, Casey, here's here's the numbers I'm talking about. Minimum build size, minimum lot size, what is in the area currently so if the if the area the appetite in that area might be for quarter acre lots and quite large houses um, versus an area that there might be you know, 0.15 of an acre with, with smaller houses so what's the appetite in the area but also mm. what's the build cost now you need to get down to the the cost per square foot for a property and then look at the actual you know for a developer they're going to have what, what's called their, um, their 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 readiness costs. So how do they put in yeah. things like paths, driveways, infrastructure, leveling, leveling out the properties? On average, that's about $20,000 per property, depending upon the property size. Then you've got your build costs on top of that. So you have to run your numbers to make sure that the deal makes sense. But if you find a deal that makes sense, there's services out there. One of them is the, the Tolosa Group, uh, T-O-L-O-S-A, um, very good friends of ours, Mike and, and his team, they will actually go and do all of the forced appreciation for you. And they will just take a profit share at the end once it's all done. So again, vacant land, once you get into vacant land, there is an entire community out there of people and services and collaborators and joint venture partners. Everyone can uh, can win in the deal. So it's really quite amazing. It's not until we got into vacant land and just in the last year or so how the emergence of a lot of these different strategies have really taken hold. Casey, it's pretty Mm -hmm. exciting.
0: Yeah. It's really exciting because indeed I I, I agree. When you probably look around a room, a local real estate meetup, there's probably one land flipper with 99 (laughs) other individuals, maybe two syndicators and 90 the remaining, um, single
1: Um, family homes, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, so but it is gaining popularity i can, i can um sense that as well um but i love that you know people like you are finding these win-win solutions and creating value um for everyone involved and i think that's that's really needed obviously it's needed it's it's a growing community like you said you're solving problems people aren't sure what to do with this land there's probate yeah. issues um so it's not just earning income off of these, it's solving someone else's problem as well.
1: Correct. Yeah, 100%. And if you put yourselves in the shoes of a a property owner, let's just say like a, a typical scenario, Casey, is you might have a piece of property that you've inherited from family, very, very common for intergenerational land to be passed down. But what we often find is you don't want it. There's no need for it. You've got no interest in it. You've never been to the property. And... It's got all these problems to do with the the the, the title. Um, there's been, you know, if it's been passed down over four generations and none of the paperwork has been done right, and then all of a sudden a probate attorney turns around to you and says, "Well, that's going to be like, you know, twelve and a half thousand dollars to fix that and nine months of work." You're going to be like, "Too hard, you know, let yeah. it go." Yeah. So there is a service out there, right? And that's where land investors really come into play because, it, again realtors we love realtors we've got one on our team and he's wonderful his name's michael cassidy shout out to michael um but their job is not to go and fix these issues they will only want to work with a property that has a clear title that is marketable and that they can sell there's a lot of properties out there that don't meet that criteria
0: a lot of squatters
1: squatters trash a lot of trash that's been put on properties that then has especially if you're not near the property and you never see it um, where people have used the property for dumping. And um, then all of a sudden the County puts liens on the property um, because you know, you've now got what's called a nuisance lien because you haven't cleared that up. There's lots of different situations that happen that people just feel a bit lost in.
0: Yeah. Understood. I would probably be just as lost as they are. <laughs> yeah. So Alicia, thanks for walking us through those different um land strategies, land flipping strategies. Um, and one thing that was going in the back of my head um, during that whole conversation is how many people and processes that you would have to develop over time to get this engine running smoothly. And I guess, is there any tips and tricks that you could you know, point out for um, our listeners today to kind of, if they were interested in maybe... Diving into land flipping, you know, what are some of those processes and um, tips that you could help build a team to execute some of these strategies?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's lots there. I guess where I would start with is go and get some basic education on land flipping. There's loads of places online that you can now just go and do a short course on what is the concept of vacant land, right? And to get those basics underway and some of the language that you need to know when you're dealing with vacant land is a really good place to start. Then when we first started, Casey, I was the one speaking with sellers, speaking with buyers, dealing with our title companies. I was the one talking to all of the sellers and buyers. And I highly recommend that people do that if they've got the time. Now, I did this part time whilst I was still had another business. So it was a couple of hours a day just on the phone with sellers and buyers and doing deals. And the reason why I think it's good to start to do it yourself is you need to understand the whole flow of how a deal goes from person to person throughout the chain, um, and once you get that concept, then you can start to be like, all right, well now that I know how the conversations need to go, I'm gonna plug in an intake service to to look at that, so they can take the first phone call. Now that I know what what title issues need fixing, I'm gonna find myself the right title company. Um, that knows how to fix those, knows how to work with land investors and can do that stuff for me. Now that I know what uh, probates are needed and, and what a probate requires, I'm going to find myself a good probate attorney in the state that I work in um, that can help me out with those things. So it's like it's a state of progression, right? As you progress yeah. in your knowledge, skills and experience, you just need to let your fingers do the, the do the talking. There's services out there for basically everything. Um, And even on the acquisition and disposition side, so on the acquisition side, if I can do a shameless plug, so Supercharged Offers is our other company that does real estate marketing, we literally help people with the entire process of getting their data, their direct mail, their website, their socials, the entire going out to market to find properties, we get that done. I've got a good friend of mine, Logan, from Primeland Exchange. He does the exact same service, but on the disposition side, which is when you've got a property to sell, where they get that property advertised, put it out into the, the market, get getting it out to Facebook. Um, a lot of properties get transacted on Facebook, believe it or not, and, uh, and looking after the disposition side for you. So really, if I look at me now, my land business, I'm probably working on an hour a day. That's about it. An hour a day where I'm—I've got a meeting with my team that's happening in 20 minutes' time. I meet with my team. I find out the the what's happened so far today. Anything that gets escalated for me to make a decision on, to look at. To they even running all the comps, so I might check some of the comps and just see where that's sitting. Um, and anything that needs to be escalated to you know those higher level relationships that I that I have. Other than that, we've now got our business to the point that it pretty much runs itself, uh, which is pretty cool.
0: It's amazing yeah and how long did yeah. it take you to do this like five years i think you said
1: uh we've been doing it for five years it probably took us about three years to get it to this point um you know two and a half three years mm-hmm. and i think we would have got there quicker if we had have made some more decisions at, at that point in time you know reflecting back there's that point when you're a, a business owner that you still want to have control over everything and you still want to be involved in yeah. everything but we're we're definitely different now where we know what our time is worth. And it's like, I don't need full control over that. If I can train someone up to do that or put a process or a system in place to do that, that's more of our mindset. But we didn't have that mindset when we started. So if we if we had have gone back in time and, and thought about things a bit differently, I'd say we could have got that up and running in about two years, um, which is totally doable. Especially now with all the different products and services out there that can help you. So Yeah, Yeah. they didn't exist five years ago, but a lot of them do now. Yeah.
0: Well, Alicia, I really liked your point earlier. And you were talking about when you're growing and scaling this business, really people should at least do the thing a few times. And so they know what's good and what they're looking for in that process. Um, So then they could either train someone um, or hire someone else to do it.
1: Correct yeah unless you know what good looks like Casey you can't just outsource it to someone and expect awesome results doesn't doesn't work that way you've got to know what what you're measuring and and what success looks like as well.
0: Yeah absolutely Alicia well we've covered a ton of ground and I think we've provided you have provided a ton of value for us um I've learned a lot. So thank you, Alicia, for coming on. And is is there anything else you'd like to um, take away a few takeaways for the audience um, today before we leave them?
1: Yeah, I guess a, a couple of takeaways. One is, is don't be scared to explore some different asset classes in real estate because I think a lot of people go for what's obvious, which is single family homes or small multifamily, but there's a number of asset classes out there that can produce income for you. Um, so think outside the square, there's things like warehousing, um, self-storage, vacant land, um, commercial real estate, you know, finding real estate where billboards can go on, finding real estate where cell towers can go on and getting rent that way. There's there's literally a, a, quite a few different strategies out there to explore. What I think you then need to do is think about where your time and energy is spent because for me, Casey, as well, not all income is just passive. You know, I think people have this, this dream of everything. Oh, wow, I'll just put that money in there and I'll get passive income that's pretty rare. Often yeah. there needs to be a little bit of time and energy that goes into things so that you can manage what, what's happening with that as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well is, is look at it less as uh, an asset that you might um, invest in and more about services. And what I mean by that is we've actually had quite a few people invest in us uh, as real estate investors. And they, they've said to us, we've done this a few times now, We'll give you some money. You go out and do the marketing and find the properties. And then we profit share at the end. So you can invest in different ways where we do the work. Um, it means we can scale our business a bit faster. Then after each property sells, they get a certain percentage back on their money as well. So there's different ways that you can structure things um, that are really quite creative. And, and I love that. I love working with people that are willing to give things a go, which is which is awesome.
0: Yep. Yep couldn't agree more. There's a lot of ways to go about this real estate, which also just really excites me. And there's a lot of opportunity. So just keep searching and keep grinding.
1: Yep, absolutely, Katie. Well,
0: Alicia, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it.
1: Absolute pleasure.
0: And to all the listeners, we'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.